Good morning, Alma Campus. Good morning to those of you who are online with us today. Little point of privilege here for a second. Uh, I love Kids Hope. That's one of our great local outreaches. We also support missionaries in other places of the world. And today we are really blessed at our campus, uh, the Mount Pleasant campus, to have Dave and Debbie Walker with us from Singapore. They're going to be out at the Info Center this afternoon after the, the different services. Please greet them and find out a little bit more about what they're doing. Well, we have been on a journey. I know some of you have missed it. We have covered 120 years of the life of Moses in 12 weeks. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? So if you missed any, you need to go back and pick it up. But here's the thing that's disturbing to me, is that when we were planning this series a long time ago, we made a decision that I would be the one who would preach about the death of Moses. And I'm trying to figure out why would they pick the oldest guy to do the death of Moses, let alone the fact that I was on my way to have a hip replaced. So now I've got this concern in me, well, I'm not going to get to preach this because I'm going to die during surgery. And I'm all worried about this, you know, and so here's what happens. The last thing I remember four weeks ago was the anesthesiologist saying, now I'm going to be cleaning your back and then I'm going to put a little something in it. That was it. The next thing I heard was, what's your pain level? Now, I promise you, here's my thinking. Well, they're not going to be concerned about pain in hell because it's all pain. And they're not concerned about pain in heaven because there won't be any pain. So I'm not dead. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> My poor wife had not been connected with the people who were watching me for six hours. She didn't know for sure that I wasn't dead. It was a very stressful time with her. Well, Moses is dead, so you can go home now. <laughs> Moses is one of the just amazing characters of Scripture because he even calls of himself as one like Christ doesn't claim to be the Messiah, but he really is the Old Testament symbol of the messianic work of Christ that was yet to come. You know, one who would be sent by the Father, one who would deliver us out of our bondage into a life. So this is the life of Moses. And let's summarize just real quickly what we've seen. We, we began with Moses being placed in a little basket floating on the Nile. And then we find Moses who is defending Israel and he's wiping out an Egyptian soldier, kills him, and then he has to flee. He goes into the wilderness and after 40 years, God calls him to a bush that is not consumed by the fire of God and he challenges Moses. And Moses goes back into Egypt with his brother Aaron and Moses is used by God to bring the plagues all upon Egypt to show the glory of God. And finally, they have the Passover after they've left, and then Moses leads them across the sea as God opens it up for them. But when he gets there, they don't have food. They don't have meat. They don't have bread. They don't have water. But God supplies all of that. And then they have a fight with the Amalekites, and then 
Moses' father-in-law tells him, these are the things you should be doing. And now we come to that final moment where here's this idol that has been built in place of Moses. So Moses is really conflicted because he has been led by God all the way and he has made choices. You see, that's what this is all about. This last message of Moses is all about choices. He made a choice in every one of these situations other than his own birth to do the things that he did. Some of the choices were good. Some of the choices weren't. It sounds like us, doesn't it? That not every choice we make is a sanctified choice. Not every choice is the one that God approves of. But God is still with Moses. And so Moses now wants to take his life that he's been living for 120 years, and he wants to challenge the Israelites. But notice, he's not challenging the ones that came out of Egypt with him, because they have all died with the exception of Joshua and his good friend, Caleb. The rest of them have died. So now Moses wants to give this new group of people a challenge to choose life or choose death. So let's talk about choosing life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it? And proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea. So that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it. And proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. Here's the very shortest story of life. You're born, you make choices, you die. It's kind of morbid, isn't it? But it is true. You are born. God brings you into this world. The fruit of the womb is the reward of the Lord. We come into this world, and as early as we can, we start making choices. Those of you who have raised little ones understand what those choices usually are. And they have to be corrected. They have to be molded. They have to be changed. There is something in us, a capacity that God has placed in us, because he's given every one of you, and me, a purpose. And that purpose is our destiny. It's discovering that purpose through life by the kind of choices that you make that will ultimately help you reach that point in time. Moses chose life over death. He did it because he was choosing obedience over disobedience. He was choosing holy over unholy. He was choosing a relationship with the God of the universe instead of a relationship with the world in which he lived. And those are the choices that you and I are confronted with. Here's how I like to say it. My choice is I serve the living God. He's my purpose. 
Through the years, he has helped me to expand his kingdom where I've been. And I won't give up ground because I choose life. Someone defined it like this. It is a law of history that every personality bears within itself a measure which is not permitted to exceed. Let me read that one more time. It is a law of history that every personality, all of us, bear within ourselves a measure which we cannot exceed. What does that mean? It means that you and I were given a capacity by God when we were born to achieve something that he has designed for us. And as we are making right choices, we are pursuing that purpose he has. Ultimately, when we reach that point, with God's guidance, with the power of the Holy Spirit leading us, when we get there, God will let us know we are there. And at that point, the choices we've made in life have benefited us, benefited the kingdom of God. We have done what God has called us to do. So your capacity... Once you achieve it, you've gotten where God designed you to be. Israel failed. That group that came out of captivity failed in reaching any capacity at all. Now this new generation to whom Moses is speaking has the opportunity. So that's why he's challenging them. What he's saying to them is, there is a gospel message. In the Old Testament... The gospel message was this, believe God, believe in his promises to send Messiah, and you shall be saved. In the New Testament, Jesus has come, the Messiah has come. So the message is, believe that Jesus has come, that he is the Son of God, that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. So it's a difference in time, not a difference in message. It's the same message Moses is giving. And what he's telling the Israelites is, you have an opportunity now to choose to believe God. And God will lead you into this promised land. And you will expand his kingdom. He's given them everything they need to have faith. The writer of Hebrews says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For you must believe that God is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's what Moses is saying. When you learn to live by faith, not by sight, when you learn to trust God in the depths of your being, and not by the circumstances that are happening around you, that faith is going to build up in you a hope. And we are not without hope because of what Christ has accomplished. So Moses is saying to the Israelites, this is what you need. You need the kind of hope that God wants you to have so he can fulfill his purpose through you. So what's your purpose? This is choosing life. It's choosing against the world. It's choosing God. It's choosing to challenge your capacity to really try to determine what is it that God wants me to do. You see, even though we're involved in it, it's not about us. It's about God. 
It's what he has called you to accomplish. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things will be added to you. You are free to choose. Some theologians in the past used to question, do we really have freedom of the will because we have a sovereign God? How can you have freedom if he's sovereign and he's dictating all things? Or we have freedom of the will. We have the freedom to choose. That's not the problem. The problem is what we choose. When we choose against God, when we choose things of the world that are in opposition to God, when we make choices that don't advance us in our relationship with Him, then we are actually choosing death, not life. And God is calling us to choose life. Well, how do you choose? You first believe that the standard which God has given us is the Word of God. It is the Bible. It is those 66 books that he brought together over thousands of years that tell us everything we need to know. If it's not exact, then the implication is there just by good and necessary deduction. You can understand what God wants from us in the Scripture. So if you become a student of the Word and you are discipled in the Word, then you're choosing life. And when those stumbling times come and a bad choice brings consequences, God won't leave you. He'll still be with you. Because in your heart of hearts, you're wanting to choose life. So you have to choose Him. Now Moses was perplexed because Israel hadn't chosen God. Just think about it for a minute. Look at the evidence they had. Two to two and a half million people are being led by one man, and somehow he's able to bring all this catastrophe to Egypt so that they can leave, and they're leaving with wealth because people started giving them things, and here they, they're going out, and they're going to be free, and it's amazing. And they're given tents to sleep in and everything's going well. And they get down to where that water is. What are they going to do? Well, God just separates it. And they see that and they walk across dry land. And then when they get hungry, God says, here comes the manna. Here come the quail. You want water? Speak to the rock, Moses. There's the water. They had everything they needed. They go to battle against the Amalekites. They win. And yet... At that time when Moses <clears throat> travels up the mountain one more time, what happens? Hey, he's been gone too long. Let's build something we can see. That's not faith. Faith believes without seeing. Jesus said, blessed are you that have seen me, but more blessed are those who believe not having seen me. That's faith. So they violated the faith principle. They built this golden idol and it perplexes Moses. He just doesn't understand. How can you have so much evidence of the power of God and choose death? How much evidence do we have? Jesus, born of a virgin, lived for 33-odd years, those last few years in public ministry, performing the miraculous healing people, raising people from the dead, calming the storms. Jesus, who went up on the cross and allowed himself to be killed 
and three days later rose from the dead. And over 500 people witnessed him as a risen person, the God-man. And then he ascended, and the angel said, he'll be coming again. Isn't that enough evidence that Jesus is who he said he is? And that when you choose life, you're choosing Jesus. When you choose Jesus, you're choosing life. Why would you choose otherwise? It doesn't make any sense. No compromise. No middle ground. It's either God or not God. It's either holiness or unholiness. Stop hesitating. Moses to the Israelites, choose life or death. God to you, choose life or death. Later, Joshua, who followed Moses, will say near the end of his work for God to those people of Israel who followed him, choose you this day whom you may serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So that emphasis continues generation after generation. It's up to you and me to continue to pass it down generation to generation that we need to choose life. We need to make a choice that is only found in Christ. Life is only found in Christ Jesus. So how do you make that choice? Well, four very simple steps. Very simple. You need a reverence for God. It means you need to know who He is and love Him. You need a devotion to do whatever He asks you to do. You don't qualify it. You don't make deals with God. You need a will to pour out your life for Him so that those who are in Him are more concerned <clears throat> about being in Him than they are about being alive or dead. And you need a heart that is prepared for heaven. Moses chose life rather than death. But he did something else, which is really unique. Moses accepted death. Hebrews chapter 9, 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Last I looked, the mortality rate of human beings was 100%. Okay, we're all going to die. Each of you and I have an appointment with God. I am so thankful that it hasn't shown up on my book yet. You know, I don't want to know that. I want to wake up from surgery. You know, I don't need to know that. Only God knows that. I don't think I have fulfilled yet that capacity that is within me to do what he's calling me to do. I think he still has things for me to do. I know he still has things for you to do. It's discovering what those things are. You and I don't determine the manner or the time of our death. God has it planned. And I truly believe that until you're finished with what he needs you to do, he's going to leave you here. You get it right, he'll take you home. So keep choosing life and pushing it ahead. The greatest thing is to have accomplished what you believe God has called you to do. When that's the case, and he removes you, from life, it's not a loss. It's a gain. It's a reward. It goes back to that passage. Those who diligently seek him, they get the reward. So if I spend my life 
loving my wife, loving my children, loving my grandchildren, loving the church, but I serve my Lord believing I'm going to get a reward, then on that day that he chooses to take me, I enter my reward. There is no reward if you choose death. There's only a reward if you choose life. Ecclesiastes 7.1 A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, you know how excited you are when new children are born into the family. What a great day that is, all the celebration. How much did he or she weigh? How long are they? And are they doing well? All of that kind of stuff. It's just a great day. But the Bible says that death is better. Why? Because when you're born, you still have all these choices you have to make. You still have to discover what it is that God wants for you. And you know how hard that is? If you're not being taught that on a daily basis, if you're not in a church that's training you, in a family that's training you, in discipleship groups that are training you, if you're not there, it's virtually impossible to make choices that are going to lead to a good life that's pleasing to God. But if you are in those And you find that niche, that thing you believe God's calling you to do, and you start pursuing it. If it's not what he wants you to do, he's going to change it, and you go do something else for him. But on the day that you're done, death, having picked its own hour, will come for you. And that's okay, because it's just a passing from here to there, from life to life. Moses knew that he messed up, especially with one choice he made. God had said initially, speak to the rock and water will come out. He spoke to the rock, water came out. A second time, they find a difficulty with no water. God says, strike the rock and water will come out. He didn't say, strike the rock twice. Out of anger, Moses struck the rock twice. The minute he did it, he was defying God. He was disobeying God. He was not believing that God could do what he said he would do. His own emotions took over. That's what kept him out of the promised land. But God is so merciful, so full of grace toward every one of us, that no matter what it is that you and I have done that has been displeasing to him, Look what he does to Moses. He says, Moses, time to climb another mountain. Come on up. Something I want to show you. And Moses gets to see the promised land. But he doesn't get to enter it because that's his punishment. But death is a result of being born. Death is the punishment of sin. Our sin natures. All have fallen short of the glory of God, and the penalty of sin is death. So we're all going to die. But Moses doesn't complain. You don't hear a word in the scriptures of him saying, well, this isn't fair, God. No, he accepts the mercy that God is showing him by letting him see the promised land. Because he knows this. 
that I have someone who's following me that will carry on what God gave me to do. This is how God works. You know that? David said, I'll build a temple. God said, no, you won't. Your son is. So David collects all the material and Solomon builds the temple. Or look, more recently, wonderful evangelist Billy Graham. He raises up an organization that reaches thousands and thousands of people, millions of people with the gospel. He's gone and his son Franklin takes it on and expands it in different ways that God wants. So it's not about you or me being the one to establish something that's going to carry our name forever. It's about God saying, when you're done, I'll take you and I'll put somebody else there if I need to. Moses is the greatest name in all of Israel. That's the name that everybody responds to. Greater than Luther in Germany or Churchill in England or Lincoln in America. It's the greatest name because he was so much like Jesus. So he's up on the mountain and the Bible tells us that God buried him and no one knew where he was. When I was a child, the ages of probably 8 through 13, my mother and my uncle and I, somehow my brother and sister were excluded, we did what was called the summer graveyard run. Have any of you ever had to do that? I loaded a push mower and clippers and trowels and buckets and rakes into the trunk of a 1955 Ford. And we left Winder, Georgia at 8 a.m. in the morning and we went to Commerce, Georgia, and then we went to Jefferson, Georgia, then we went to Washington, Georgia, then we came back to Winder at 8 p.m. that night. What did we do? We went to all of these grave sites to clean them. You know what my thought was? Why are we doing this? They're dead. You know, who cares? They got these grave sites here. But my mother turned it around on me. My mother said, now let me tell you about her great uncle here who was a pastor who loved the Lord. Let me tell you about these over here. Everywhere we went, she was pouring into me about these people. And I'm thinking, this is amazing. I don't know any of these people. But she's telling me how many of them loved Jesus. Well, we added another city because that's where my mother is now in College Park, Georgia with her sister and her brother-in-law, her mother. And I think quite often, should I go back and do that whole tour? I don't think so. Okay. I think the next time I see them, I'm going to see them alive. And they're going to say to me, you know, hey, thanks for doing my grave. And oh, it was your grave I did. But God buried Moses. And Deuteronomy 34 says this. Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab. As the Lord had said, he buried him in Moab in the valley opposite Beth Peor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave is. See, he didn't die like Enoch. I thought maybe, you know, you can walk with God and Enoch was no more. He didn't die like Elijah. The chariots of fire came and, and took Elijah away and Elisha watched him go. Neither of those methods of translation into the presence of God helped. 
Moses because he died right there. Now, he went up on a mountain. He saw the promised land. And what I'm about to say is conjecture. But I have some support from Isaac Watts, who was a hymn writer, who in 1707 wrote this about the death of Moses. Sweet was the journey to the sky. The wondrous prophet tried to climb up the mount, says God, and die. The prophet climbed and died. Softly, his fainting head, he lay upon the master's breast. His maker kissed his soul away and laid his flesh to rest. You know, I want to die like that. I want to put my head on the master's lap and have him just stroke my head and say, okay, go on into heaven. And you're gone. Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome? What a way to go. Of all the things that Moses predicted would be like Christ, even saying, there's one coming like unto me, yet without sin, one who will deliver you. There is a major difference in the death of Moses and the death of Jesus. Jesus went up on that little mountain and was placed on that cross. Jesus did not lay his head on his father's lap and have his soul kissed away. No, Jesus suffered pain. He suffered agony. He suffered separation from the father. His death was an atrocity so that he could bring us peace. He chose death so that we would have life. And he chose life for us. And to gain that, he died. What a Savior. So today, the choice is yours. If you've never embraced God before, you'll have that opportunity in a few minutes. Choose life, and though surely you will die, you will live again. For when we die in Christ, we rise in him also. And there is the joy of reaching your capacity in life. So I want to challenge you right now. If you've never invited Christ into your life, today is the day to do that. What a great beginning. You're choosing life. You're saying, Jesus, forgive me for the choices I've made, the actions I've had, the thoughts I've had that are wrong. Forgive me and cleanse me. Take over my life. I choose life. I choose you. If you've already done that, then you need to ask God to continue to give you the power and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to guide you in your choice making because you're here, you're not done yet. So I'm going to pray with you right now. If you are praying that prayer, then when we are concluded, here at our campus, you can go to the info center and get starter kits that will help you in your walk. If you're online, you can also find that your host will give you a link so that we can make sure you get a starter kit also. So let me pray with you right now. Lord Jesus, thank you that you gave us Moses. Thank you that you gave us Jesus, most of all. 
Thank you that he has led us out of captivity to sin. We are now bond servants unto him. And Lord, we serve you with gladness. We serve you with joy. We serve you to reach that capacity you've given us so that you will be pleased with us. Today, Lord, I pray with those who are accepting you for the first time. And they will pray this prayer from their hearts as I pray it. Lord Jesus, forgive my sins. Come into my life and take over. And help me to be everything you need me to be. I choose life. I choose you. Lord, thank you for your church. Thank you for your blessings. And thank you for life. We pray it in your precious name. Amen.